0: Hey guys, welcome to the professional development podcast. Uh, today we have on a very special guest, Mike McCallowitz. and I pronounced that right. Correct. Oh, you nailed
1: it. You nailed it.
0: Very good. Cool. And I think actually on your website, it has like a pronunciation yeah, yeah. on there. So, so I might that means
1: everybody
2: it gets it wrong, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: everybody gets it wrong. And and we, on that pronunciation thing, we make fun of my name. Michalas ships is the most popular. Mm-hmm. We have a voting. Yeah. So I go by that. Too. Nice.
0: Nice. That's a good one. So, uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, Mike leads to multi-million dollar uh, ventures uh, as he tested his latest business uh, research for his books. He's a former small business columnist for the Wall Street Journal, uh, a business makeover specialist on MSNBC, and he's a popular main stage keynote speaker on innovative entrepreneurial topics. He's also the author of Get Different, Fix This Next, Clockwork, Pump, uh, The Pumpkin Plan, The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur. And the most, uh, uh, the most one that's most relevant to us, and I know Brad has read, is profit first. So, mm. Mike, we really appreciate you coming on. Oh, it was a, it's a joy to be with you guys. Yeah. So, uh was doing a, a little bit of due diligence first. So, saw yeah. online that. Profit first, the one we want to really hit on, which is you know the best-selling book implemented by over six hundred thousand small businesses, uh, is now a video book. And coming from a guy at a third-grade reading level, I I can't tell you how how great that is to me. So how exciting is that for you?
1: Oh, it's really cool. You know, the company that's doing it approached uh, me and the publisher of the print book, which is Penguin Books, and said, "Hey, um, there's a new format that that you should consider." So there's you know there's print books, there's audio, like Audible, and then there's Kindle and those types. And he said, why don't you do video? It's like a masterclass, but it's different in that it stays true to the essence of the book. They follow the chapters and guidelines, but it's, it's presented with, with video and B-roll. You get to meet some of the people that were interviewed, that interviewed for the book. You actually get to see them on video. Um, yep. So I think it's a cool
2: perspective. That's awesome. It seems like, and something that's great about your book is there's a lot of application processes to it, which is, you know, what makes it so successful. So to have a video uh, do that, ex- explain it, it, makes a whole lot easier for people like us who are more like a hands-on type of approach. Totally. and, and
1: if, Yeah. For most people, what, I think the interactivity, the visualization, like you see the numbers there, you know, profit first, I always intended to be super simple. It, this is not for accountants, it's for the antithesis of it. It's It's for folks that you log into your bank account, you see how much money you have, and you make decisions. Like, like, can we have a system that supports that natural tendency? And that's the natural tendency of almost all business owners I know. So, we, we need a simple system. Puffers is not an accounting system. I think you'll confuse that, think that it handles all your accounting. You still will use an accounting system, but this sits on like an umbrella. This is a cash management tool. It ensures you're consistently profitable. Then the accounting comes into alignment afterwards behind it. But we, as the business owner, don't even really need to worry necessarily about that.
2: Well, that was what was funny. We have another co-host here who I said, oh, I'm reading profit first. And he's like, I don't need to read that. I know how it works. It's revenue more than expenses, profit. And I'm like, no, yeah. man, there's a little bit more to it. And I think yeah, like, what, a, a, couple weeks, a couple of weeks went by and uh, we were having a conversation about it. And he's like, that's a, that's a really good idea. Like cool. he thought it was it, he thought it was his own idea at first because he like thought of it on his own. And I'm like, no, like you just said everything that's actually inside of the Prophet First Book. So <laughs> could you well, could you could you kind of explain that real quick for some of our listeners who haven't yeah. had a chance to dive in without giving away all the secrets, I guess?
1: Yeah. And kudos to your co-host for for realizing that. You know, sometimes I get so entrenched in my belief that even if something alternatively presents itself that may be better. I don't want to listen to it because I want to stay yeah. with what I believe. So kudos, kudos to that coast. Um Profit First, what I discovered is most business owners, including myself, go into business for two reasons, financial freedom and personal freedom. I want to make the money I want to make, so I don't have to worry about bills. And I want to be able to do what I want when I want, personal freedom. And it's ironic, those are the two things that least happen for business owners. We're not making any money. We're struggling check by check. And we're working our asses off. So the first thing I tackled was this money issue. Like, if we go into business for money, we don't make money. What's wrong with us? I kept on thinking what was wrong with us. And then it clicked one day. I was looking at the foundational formula of sales minus expense equals profit. I said, oh, my God, there is nothing wrong with us. That formula is a lie. And when I say a lie, it's, it's truthful in that it's logical, but it's not behavioral. Is human behavior, when something comes last, it's the same as saying it's not important. If you love your family, you don't say, yeah, I love my family. I put them last now. Or, you know, your health matters. You know, I decided that I really got to get healthy, so I'm going to put exercise and health last. No, you put it first. And I noticed that profit, we call it the bottom line or year end. These are all terms that I can wait until the end of the year. So most of us wait till the end of the year. There's no profit. We get pissed off and we hope it'll happen next year. So the profit-first system, we simply flip the formula. Sales minus profit equals expenses. How it works in practice is every time revenue comes into your firm, you take a predetermined as profit, you remove it from the business, you hide that cash, you run your business off the remainder. And by taking your profit first, you ensure permanent profitability.
0: That's exactly. awesome. And so I'm I'm one of the people that actually haven't gotten to read your book, but Brad's been talking about it for a while. But I did... I did um, Listen to what was it? You were on the profit answer, man, like a couple of years ago. So I was listening to that podcast and there were some pretty impressive percentages about like how many people actually know what the fuck's going on, like with the finances within their business. Can you do you remember those those numbers? Yeah, yeah I,
1: I do know this. I know that um, there was a study that was uh, instigated by U.S. Bank and, and backed in part with the SBA The SBA identifies small business as a company that does $25 million in annual revenue or less. That's my company. It's it's perhaps many of the listeners or all the listeners, I don't know, but it's a lot of business. There's uh, over 30 million of us in the U.S. There's over 300 million now globally. And what the study identified is that um, 83% of small business is in check-to-check survival. The vast majority of businesses are in a cash crunch, which means they don't have enough money to pay their bills, pay their employees or staff or team, let alone pay themselves. So the owner's skipping on something and it's usually themselves. So they start to hate your own business. The thing you started to serve you, you loathe it. The 83% was mind-blowing. That means there's 25 million plus businesses right now as we're doing this that are struggling, don't know how to pay bills tomorrow, and they're not taking a profit. That I want to fix that for everybody.
2: Yeah. And, and my, one of the questions I had, which I think you're kind of already answering, is why do you think most businesses fail? Is it just a total cash flow system where there's not enough cash in the system to, to pay these bills? And, and what advice do you give those people to avoid that?
1: Yeah, I think the reason majority of businesses fail is that they don't have a profit system, which is a little bit different than cash flow. Cash flow is collecting more money is how you, how money flows through your business, but yeah. the optimal cash flow is collecting more than you're spending. But even that's a problem, meaning uh, some businesses will say, oh my God, we need money, do collection calls, and we try to get money in sooner, but they're not still profitable. So the little tweak is we need a profit system. Every single transaction, there must be profit baked into it. Profit, I say in the book, profit is not an event. It's not like it's one big transaction. Profit is a habit. Every day, they'll be putting a little bit more away, a little bit more away, and that becomes sustainable and it grows on a big, big scale. Most owners try to sell their way out of things. And sadly, and it gets me upset, there's some pretty like famous entrepreneurial advocates that say sales cures everything. Total bullshit. Sales actually causes stress for an organization. Like, Brad, you got a CNC company. Could you imagine your sales doubled or tripled tomorrow? It sounds wonderful, but now you have an obligation to deliver this. Do you have the yeah. manpower to do it? You guys are cranking and turning out those parts like fast. And that becomes a, a real problem. Sales causes expense. organizational stress. Yeah. yeah. So what we need to do is we get to balance. Sales brings in cash, but we may need to be extracting cash from that and profitability, which then gives us runway. And it affords us the ability to, to grow our business healthily. So the reason most businesses fail is they don't have a good profit system. I, I'm vehement about that.
2: And for somebody you, you've experienced this firsthand, like, I think that's something that people need to understand is you've had two businesses that you built up that were successful that ended up failing. And yeah. is that where you learned all these processes and habits that you established and wrote books about? Or was it something that uh, somebody else taught you, a mentor or somebody like that?
1: It's, it's pretty much all the above. So I had two companies that I built and sold. Uh, one was bought by a Fortune 500. Another was a private equity deal. Neither of them were really healthy when I was building them, but I was lucky that I was able to sell them. They had some tangible assets. I built a third company where it was a disaster. As an angel investor, I was clueless. That was a train wreck. And I built other companies now. I have two companies, well, six companies that I'm a licensee or owner of, but two that directly have they own that are extremely healthy and growing explosively. And it's it's been the lessons from all that stuff. The failures are great because they enlighten what I didn't know. And that's about 99% of the stuff I thought I did know, I didn't know. Um, and the successes are often from experiments. So what I'm doing is, yeah, I'm looking at my own businesses and I'm also, I have access to mentors and coaches. I interview other entrepreneurs constantly. And I try to look for these common threads of what works and what doesn't work. And when I see common failure points, then I go out and try to seek a solution. I wrote a book recently about marketing. And what I found is most Businesses that do market, market ineffectively, they're frustrated that those ads on Facebook, yet again, aren't working. Um, and so I invested the last five or six years just researching that one topic, well, along with other topics, but that one topic and creating a book out of it. So what I try to do is I, I don't consider myself a great creator of entrepreneurial ideas, but I intend to be a great curator of ideas. probably First, it itself is not a new system, it's, it's ideas of the envelope system that was used in the old world. It's, uh, it's, it's the pay yourself first principle, which is taught in personal finance. I took a lot of these elements and put them together, started testing them in business and said, oh, this is the formula, the new way of doing it in business. So yep. th-
0: I see myself as a curator, I guess. So the envelope system, were you or are you a big uh, Dave Ramsey guy?
1: Um. Yeah, but before Dave Ramsey existed. So I, my mother taught me the envelope system as a kid. She's from oh, Germany. Really? And yeah. so when she had envelopes and when she would go food shopping, I remember she would, she had money in the food envelope. She would pull that and she always worked with that envelope and she followed these ex principles. So when she, she, worked at a factory down the road, and when she took her own money, she would cash in that check. She would divide up into these different envelopes. So there was always money distributed. What was interesting is she had income volatility, like a business. Sometimes she worked, she worked part-time. So sometimes there was more. If she was sick, she worked less. Um, so whatever was in the food envelope, she bought the food with, which, could be like, you know, rice and beans if if there was a bad month or a bad week. But uh, Mm -hmm. Germans like to celebrate with liverwurst, which is disgusting, freaking (laughs) disgusting. But she would buy that if the money was there. And so very early on, I learned, set this up. Um, The Dave Ramsey system is awesome. I'm, I'm a big proponent for it. And I'm sure he'd be the first to share that that's not his system. It was written in The Richest Man in Babylon. It was written about in Think and Grow Rich. He just presented it in a new, fresh way that's serving so many people. I love his work,
0: yeah, sure. So what about uh, kind of speaking on that? there's there's in terms of business, uh, well, I guess his is more personal. I, I won't really get into that because I would just I'm always curious to someone like that likes his work because I like his work, but I don't agree with everything, right? I don't believe in like zero debt whatsoever. Um, right.
1: I, I have some things What I would, I do a different approach. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Sure. But again, I don't think he necessarily believes that for, for the business side. So I'll, I'll kind of skip that one. But so we talk uh, a lot about like hard work, how hard it is to actually be an entrepreneur, right? Uh, you got to wear all the hats. It's not for everybody. It can be scary going out because um, you got to play everyone from sales to marketing to finance. Right. Yeah. Um, so tell us like in, from your perspective, like what was your turning point to where you knew that you were going to be a business owner?
1: Well, I knew it was when I graduated college. So, uh, when I graduated college, I thought I'd get one job with one company and ride that out into the sunset. Cause that's what my father did. Yeah. And, yep. uh, I couldn't get a job after college. <laughs> so I came home, I worked at a local computer store. It was not the job I wanted by any stretch of imagination. And, uh, <laughs> this is not how you should start a business, but this is how I started. One night after a couple of years working there, I went out for drinks with another guy. I got boozed up and I'm like, it's this freaking guy and that owns the company. He, he sits in the back of the little computer store, smoking cigars, counting money, and I'm working my ass off in the front. So I'm the, I'm the sweat and he's making everything. I'm going to start my own business. But, you know, with a few cold pops in, you're like, I got to sign another business. So I left this <laughs> drunken message saying F you to the, to the boss. The next day I woke up with a little bit of sobriety and I was like, "Um, I did not mean that. And he's like, F you, you're on your own. So I I burned my bridges. I don't suggest doing that, but that's what I did. Um, I also was married and had my first son in my early, early 20s. So now I had to feed three mouths and start a business. And it was terrifying. But admittedly, that was the best thing I could have done because I had to make it successful. I had to make money quickly and fast. I hustled like I never hustled before in my life.
2: Yeah, and I, that's go ahead, Brad. I, something I, f- I find that super interesting. So I only have a couple employees here, but I I push everybody I know like in the entrepreneur aspect. So yeah. for somebody that was an employee, we were like, "Fuck this! I don't like it." You went out on your own. Now you employ, I'm sure, quite a few people. Do you still have that where you're looking for, like you, you push your employees now, like, Hey, if you have this idea, you have this dream, go work for it. Or are you like just trying to like keep your employees like in your little yeah yeah, They they might domain now. We have
1: 22, 23 people. Um, we, uh, I, I inspire, I encourage everyone to start their own business. And, um, unless they don't want to, yeah a lot of people don't want to, I mean, what i realize is the uh, the number one job that you and i that we have the number one job of entrepreneurs is to create jobs not to do the work but to create the work for other people because there's a huge portion of the population that says i just want to get there at 9 leave at 5 and go home and uh, they deserve that and we can create that there is a portion here that says i want to explore entrepreneurship i may i may i can make more money this way or maybe i can just live life on my own terms so we have of our 20 folks um, I would say probably six or seven businesses here side hustles. Yeah. Um, but the the president of our company, uh, her name's Kelsey. She, she had a side hustle for about two years and she's like, you know what? Um, I'm done. I'm done being an entrepreneur. I'm all in on this. And, and I think the fact that she was given that freedom, uh, and discovered something she didn't want, I think she even enjoys it more here. There's no regrets. I don't want anyone having a regret saying I should have, could have. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I think that's an awesome mentality to have and not not, one that most have you know a lot of business owners that i've talked to they're huge on these non-competes uh because they're afraid that somebody's going to go and start like a competing business or doing something and so like i own a recruitment company and i've always said it's like i'll never make someone sign non-compete now a non-solicitation a little bit different non-solicitation is like you're not going to take any of my clients you're not going to take any of my people it's like but it's one of those things if somebody's going to start their own business they're going to do it no matter what right it's true so it's And so the best thing you can do is like train them, give them the best experience working for you, give them freedom, flexibility, ongoing development. And if they end up doing it, great. But like I said, it's like, if they're going to do it, they're going to do it eventually. So you might as well leave a lasting impact on them. And then as you're creating all these systems, you realize that you can find somebody else to do it.
1: I used to, in my first business, I was in uh, tech services, computer systems, Mm -hmm. and I started started focusing on hedge funds. That, That became my niche. And what was interesting, I didn't know much about hedge funds, but a lot of hedge funds come out of hedge funds. So someone's doing really well managing a chunk of money. And they say, I want to start my own business. The hedge fund owner will go to that hedge fund and say, we'll sponsor you or we'll support you and give you some more funds because we want a piece of the deal. So they kind of start splintering out. And I was like, oh, maybe that's an opportunity too. If someone here really feels compelled to start their own business, maybe I can even be the launch source. I know them so well. I have a degree of, of trust in them. Maybe I can invest in them. But yeah. the other thing to your point is, you know, if you love someone, let them free, they're going to do it anyway. And if they feel the freedom that they can be open about it and there's no secrecy, there's actually greater trust. My yep. team members, we, even today, we had our morning huddle, and Aaron's one of our team members here shared some successes she had in her side hustle business. And we're all like cheering her on. She can be very open about it. It's not something you hold secret.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, Brad, did you have something? Yeah, I, I guess I kind of want to talk a little bit about uh, employee, not necessarily retention, but I, I feel like you as a person have like a, like a culture that you've built around yourself. Like it's very niche. It's very particular. It's quirky. It's cool. How, how important do you think a culture is for small business owners to wow. to have that loyalty uh, moving forward? Cause I know, I know Matt's business. I think like my business, we have a culture that like our employees are almost like best friends. And yeah. what do you, I, I do think there is like a thin line there of like, okay, well, where do we, where do we draw a line between we have a great culture and we're friends, but shit also needs to get done.
1: Yeah. 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 So culture is great question and observation. So culture exists in every business. The question is, are we actively defining it or not? I also agree there needs to be a line between friendship and business because my friends can ask favors that compromise me, but it's appropriate. You know, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you keep a secret? Tell no one about this, but I need this or that, you know, like that's what a friend will do. But if that enters the business environment, now there's there's this lack of openness. It's real challenging. So uh, my colleagues here are not friends, but ironically, I would say they're better than friends. I, I trust them emphatically um, and and we're here to move the business forward. We actively define the culture by by documenting it too. Um, so we have a couple of rules. What, number one rule at our office is no dicks allowed, like, and that means we're not going to deal with dicks, but we're not going to be dicks. It's, it's a dickless community, which is a horrible <laughs> thing to fucking say. That was actually horrible, <laughs> very,
2: very so, 2021. Yeah, we're proud, yeah, to was, be we're yeah. proud to be dickless. Um,
1: but but when we interview, um, for employees here and, and employees. It's not just full-time, it's part-time, it's can be contractors. So I'm using kind of the, that phrase. Is that's the one the number one value? We we just brought a new guy on, Scott, um, I think a week or two ago. And the the first question was, you know, is this guy not a dick? Like, is he cool? And he's like, he just fits in, he's fluid, he doesn't take himself so seriously. There's there's no ego there. He's just he's just cool. Um, and then we have some other ones, like is he positive orientation versus negative, you know, half full versus half empty, and so forth. By by being that selective at that stage of bringing people on, there's a very fluid um, comfort with everybody here. They're, they have different approaches and styles, but there's a, a base comfort with each other, um, and that confidence is there. But we use it not just for hiring employees. The culture presents itself on our website. Like if you go to my website, you'll see like, oh, this this guy's unabashedly himself, and maybe maybe he's a little too goofy for me, or whatever. But this is who this guy is, and you see that consistency everywhere it's very important to actively define it you already have it we just need to define it and adhere to it i think
0: That's yeah awesome. and it's one of it's one of those things that allows you to when shit hits the fan or something goes wrong or you're at a crossroads yeah it's like things like that it's like okay well now that we're defined who we are it's like is this this or is this that so it's true i'm, I'm sure that helps a lot
1: oh it totally does even with customers you know we we yeah. put them through the parameters if, if a client does not comply with these components we're going to jeopardize ourselves. And listen, I, I've gotten greedy and saw the, the the green on the other side, but ignored this. And we had one customer who was a dick. It was a woman. And she was a dick. And it's like, but we're making money off of her. No one liked her. Yeah. Her own employees didn't like her. And I'm like, what are we doing? And finally, I said, well, we're getting rid of her. And uh, I walked back out of the office after firing this client. And the single-hand clap was there. And my colleagues were like, finally, we got rid of the dick.
2: Yeah. That, that's crazy. Cause literally right before uh, you jumped on, I was telling Matt a story about a customer that I'm dealing with right now that he spends, he spends a lot of money with me, but every single time we deliver something, he finds something to, to bitch about yeah, yeah. that w- wasn't, wasn't in the, you know, the print wasn't in the description. Yeah. That is a new problem. And it's yeah. like every single time, it's like something this guy has to bitch about. And I'm like on that, my wife tells me about it, even because it comes home to at the, home, and it's the like consequences you know, are like, massive, right? Yeah, it's like, well, when do when do we just like say, see you, find somebody else to do it, or if if you want to come to our terms, you can come back. You
1: yeah, know? so you know, I define it as uh, if we are taking money from someone and we can't stand what we're doing, it's called prostitution. We're prostituting our business, so um, we got to make a stand. Uh, the the and and the cost is more than just. Uh, we had to redo work or something. The cost is the emotional consequence that you're, you're you're going to sleep thinking of this dude, and you're waking up thinking about this dude. This is horrible. So the uh, and the other thing too is when we get rid of a bad customer, it opens space to service more great customers. When we and it's hard to serve more customers if you're distracted by this one. Yeah. So I just I just lay it out there. The, the, the short time term financial loss that you may experience is returned tenfold. But the other thing that's interesting when I. I try to fire a bad customer, sometimes they become a good customer. Like I tell yeah. this person, hey, uh, it's unfortunate. We we failed to meet your expectations again. Uh, we've elected to no longer serve you because we apparently can't meet your expectations. Here's an alternative firm. Um, and to meet your expectations, we'd have to double our prices anyway, goodbye. Yeah. Then the customer's like, oh, hold on, hold on. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna pay double. Or I don't mean you know there's any problems, everything's okay. Then say, well, if everything's okay, we'll, we'll never have a problem again, will we? We'll continue to serve you. And uh, if we are going to have a problem again, um, we're, we're not the best fit for you. And sometimes that shock can wake them up to being non-dicks.
2: I got you. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm going to start that tomorrow. <laughs> Do, go for it, man. <laughs> go for it. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, Brad, did you have anything before? No, that, got that's it? all
0: I got. Do you want to jump okay. into the uh, OnlyFans inquiry? Yeah, our OnlyFans inquiry. It's an opportunity yeah. for one of our fans to ask you a question, you to help them in real sure. time. So, so I'm going to go ahead and read that off. Uh, this one is from Tawanda from Zimbabwe, and uh, and interestingly enough, not to brag, but we're a top ten entrepreneurship podcast in Zimbabwe. Boom. Kind of a big deal over there.
2: That's not on the or anything, but
0: toot. Yeah. So um, the professional development motto is: if you're not growing, you're dying. I'm just now starting my personal develop personal and professional development journey. So if you could pick one personal or professional development book for me to start with, besides your own, what would it be and why?
1: Okay, so I would start with How to Stop Worrying and Start Living by Dale Carnegie. It is a classic on managing your mindset. And I will tell you, the biggest determinant for success, I am convinced, is how we manage our own mind. Mastering our mind is everything. And that book is a great primer. There's a lot more out there, but I would start with how to stop worrying and start living Dale Carnegie and just look at the results you start experiencing when
0: you apply it. Cool. Love that. And I really love, um, we're always, I think we're about probably about 70 to 80% business, right? But I love whenever we get one that's more of like living a fulfilled life or living through purpose, stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, actually, Mike, I think we are right at 3 PM, 4 PM your time. Yeah. So no. We appreciate you coming on, uh, Mike McCallow, Um, and yeah, we'll hopefully keep in touch. I'd love to. Thanks, for guys. On. Thanks appreciate for it. having me. See ya. See ya. Bye bye.